Isn't that dreadful? So as soon as I read we are recording, I realised I hadn't pressed the button. Uh, we are recording this forum and we'll make a link available to all participants. We will also be creating an audio version for Slavis podcast channel. We have created a Padlet for this session and encourage all participants to add items to this space. Um, I'll pop the link into the chat in a moment. It could be articles you've read on this topic or suggestions of books that you think people should be including in their libraries, uh, websites that perhaps you feel might offer um, really great support. Um, so please do add anything you like to that uh, Padlet. Our topic today is LGBTQI plus perspectives. Our aim is to provide you with a range of practitioners and creators discussing the topic in an effort to support your work in school libraries. We hope you come away with knowledge of a range of titles and some ideas about how to incorporate texts into your libraries, how to talk about and promote texts and also how to support students as they seek information and support. School libraries are at the forefront of thinking about and acting to create inclusion and equity of access and opportunity. We think this is vitally important. Our role as collection developers is powerful and we can be instrumental in ensuring the representation of varied experiences, that varied experiences are accessible uh, for school communities. These philosophies and discussions must be a conscious part of our policies and of our everyday practice. It's a very important topic. So I would like to begin by welcoming our first speaker, Tobias, Tobias Madden. Tobias worked for 10 years as a dancer touring Australia and New Zealand with musicals such as Mary Poppins, Cats, Singing in the Rain and Guys and Dolls. In 2019, Tobias edited and published Underdog, Love Oswaye short stories, which featured his first published work variation. Underdog celebrates the diverse, dynamic and ever-changing nature of our nation's culture. Tobias also co-wrote the cabaret show Siblingship, which played to sold-out audiences in Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra. He is a passionate member of the uh, at, um, sorry, hashtag LoveOzYA and LGBTQI plus communities, and he currently works full-time for a major independent publishing company. Tobias's first novel, Anything But Fine, uh, will be published by Penguin Random House in September. Welcome, Tobias. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Over to you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, hello, I'm Tobias Madden. Uh, I am a writer and editor from Sydney, living on Gadigal land. Um, and as Susan said, I also work full time in publishing. Um, I work in the marketing and publicity department um, of a pretty well known independent publisher, um, handling all of that for our young adult fiction books. So, YA is kind of uh, my entire life at the moment in my um, spare time, my work, um, my writing, it's kind of everything I'm doing at the moment. Um, and as Susan said, if you do have any questions, feel free to um, send them in the chat or um, ask when I get to the end of my little speech. Um, I would love to hear from some of you. Um, so um, I'm a very, very proud gay man, um, but I wasn't always. And I think that the closeted teenage version of myself would have been absolutely a astonished that a discussion like this was even happening with librarians all over the state. So thank you so much for having me here today. I think it's a really, really amazing thing um, that we can all come together and, and talk about this really openly. Um, so for me, I guess, you know, the overarching 
consideration when we're talking about queer fiction is that we just need to do our best to showcase the breadth and nuance of the LGBTQ plus team experience. Um, you know, that might sound super obvious, but there isn't one way to be gay or queer or trans or anything that falls under the LGBTQ plus umbrella. Um, and especially when you factor in intersectional identities, which is when a person is part of uh, two or more minority communities. So, for example, someone who is gay and disabled or trans and a person of colour, that sort of thing, that opens up, you know, a whole other um, part of that LGBTQ plus umbrella. Um, and I guess once you realise this, it just becomes really clear that the more queer stories there are and the more books we have that feature LGBTQ plus characters in general, um, the more inclusive and empowering that Australian YA canon will become, which I think, you know, is a really wonderful thing. Um, so uh, when I published the Underdog Anthology in 2019, um, we had over 100 submissions um, from previously unpublished writers, um, which was pretty awesome. Um, and we ended up choosing 12 short stories for inclusion in that anthology, five of which featured uh, LGBTQ plus characters. Um, and I believe we ended up with some really, really fantastic queer stories in that anthology that show a reasonably broad range of experiences. So um, just a quick rundown, we had uh, a gay male character who was suffering from some pretty intense internal homophobia in a small rural town. Um, and we had another gay male who was completely comfortable with his sexuality, um, but navigating crushes and all of those other kind of teen experiences um, in suburban Melbourne. Um, we also had a non-binary character whose story was actually nothing to do with their gender identity at all. Um, they had much more pressing concerns that they were dealing with at that point in time. Um, and then we had two stories featuring lesbian protagonists, one of whom was suffering sort of from this lifelong battle with depression and another who was recalling memories of her mother's struggle with her own sexuality and then kind of reconciling that with her relationship with her lesbian grandmothers. Um, so even in that range of stories, we're still not really even scratching the surface of the full LGBTQ plus experience because you know, there's no way for one author or one book or even a collection of stories to sort of do that. Um, I think um, as another example of kind of, you know, the breadth of this experience that we're talking about, um, I identify as a cisgender gay man um, and as do writers like Holden Shepard and Gary Lonefra, Will Kostakis, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. But the stories that we tell kind of couldn't be more different. Um, even though we're from that similar identity. And yes, there are some similar threads that sort of run through our stories and our work like in all things, but um, the characters and their experiences are still, you know, at complete opposite ends of that, of that spectrum. And then even in my own work, um, you know, the protagonist from my short story in the Underdog Anthology <laughs> could not be more different to the, the main character in my novel, Anything But Fine, even though both of those stories are set in country Victoria and both of them do revolve around a gay teenage ballet dancer. Um, in one of the stories, we have someone who refuses to accept who he is and whose parents, unfortunately, do the same. Um, but then in the other story, we have a protagonist who is unapologetically himself 
um, and supported without question by his dad, who is a single parent, um, you know, at all times in that story. So I guess, you know, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that there really is no limit to the amount of queer stories that we can and should be telling. Um, I think the more stories that we have on hand, the better we'll be able to serve all of our teen readers. Um, I think teachers and librarians like yourselves know your students so much better than we as writers ever will. Um, so I just think it will be really awesome when you have enough stories on hand that you can pull a book off a shelf for a queer student or for a student who doesn't identify as queer that you know you know, will be the perfect fit for them and that they will really relate to. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I think something like um, Holden Shepard's Invisible Boys, I would have found very, very confronting. Um, and I'm not sure that that kind of perspective would have really aided me on my journey to sort of discovering who I was at that time, um, even though it might be the exact thing that someone else needs. Um, and, you know, Gary Lonesbury's The Boy from the Mish, I think I would have found really comforting and really hopeful because it's, it's a very different story. Um, so I think, you know, it's important to remember that just because um, someone is queer, that doesn't necessarily mean that every queer book will be the right book for them to read at a certain point in their life. Um, because, you know, readers respond differently to, to different narratives. Um, and a certain student might, you know, respond to a character from a different part of the queer community because their situation and their lifestyle might be more similar. Say if it was, you know, they were growing up in a rural area or having religious parents suffering from anxiety, that sort of thing. There's so many different things that, you know, the readers will connect with that I think, um, yeah, we kind of need to expand our thinking about the way we choose which books are right for which readers and that sort of thing. Um, I have heard a lot of people say that, that we're kind of uh, done with coming out stories and stories that show um, any kind of trauma that is due to someone's uh, sexuality or their identity. But um, I don't necessarily agree with that completely, I don't think. Um, I think we definitely do need stories about queer characters where their queerness is not the subject of conflict in the book. I think that is really important. And I think there's a huge value in those stories for providing a really safe space for queer readers. Um, but I do still think that we need stories that show LGBTQ plus kids um, overcoming obstacles that are linked to their identity. I think, you know, it can be really powerful for certain kids to see a character responding to homophobia, um, you know, to see a protagonist who isn't accepted by their parents but then finds their, their true family elsewhere, um, you know, dealing with bullying at school, that sort of thing. I think that can be really powerful. Still. Um, and I do think sometimes it's easy for those of us in Sydney and Melbourne um, to forget that there are kids growing up in rural towns with a population of 50 or, you know, on a cattle farm or in a remote Indigenous community. Um, I think it's easy for us to forget that, you know, the whole world isn't as up to speed with, um, you know, acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community that we may be in these kind of big cities. Um, so I think, you know, as I said earlier, I think we just need all of these stories. We need all the queer stories in all of their forms. Um, in terms of the YA landscape in 2021, um, you know, I think this part of the public, publishing industry is by far the most progressive and inclusive out of them all, which is really wonderful. Um, even since I started 
kind of seriously pursuing writing, which was about five or so years ago, I think things have changed really dramatically. Um, even back then, I think there were a literal handful of books about gay teenagers, um, you know, for teenagers. And oftentimes people would have to turn to adult queer books that, you know, are sometimes appropriate, but sometimes might be a little bit too adult for certain readers, especially getting down to that younger end of the YA readership. Um, you know, and I think this actually brings us to another important consideration for LGBTQ plus fiction, which is uh, sex. Um, and I know sex in YA can be a bit of a divisive issue among teachers and librarians and parents and other gatekeepers. Um, but I do believe that it is an important part of queer storytelling. Um, I think it's really hard to authentically tell LGBTQ plus stories without mentioning sex and intimacy, um, even if it's the absence of that, you know, for people who identify as ace or asexual. Um, and I think that responsibly addressing these things in literature is unquestionably preferable to having kids seek that information elsewhere, which, you know, if we're completely honest, is likely going to be through pornography, adult entertainment, that sort of thing, um, especially given that kids don't learn about this in school and a lot of them probably aren't taught about it at home depending on their background um you know I, as a teen myself i remember being so confused and overwhelmed and terrified about anything to do with sex because i just had absolutely no information and i you know would watch tv and try and interpret innuendo on all these american tv shows where there was a you know a queer side character and stuff like that um, you know, because there just wasn't anything available in it. And it is a really kind of horrible and alienating and isolating experience. So I think that, you know, if we can talk about sex and how it affects queer teens in our books in a way that promotes consent and respect and really safe exploration, I think we'd be doing kids an enormous service. Um, and I'm definitely not saying that we need any explicit sexual content in books for teens, um, but I think demonstrating healthy relationships on every level is a really important thing for us to be thinking about when we're writing um, for teens in general, um, not just for queer teens. Um, but yeah, so hopefully that all makes sense. I, you know, like I said earlier, I think the most important thing is that you know queer stories keep being told in every possible iteration. Um, and we've come a long way, but I think we do have a way to go still. Um, and eventually, hopefully every kid will really be able to see themselves on the page. Um, and I don't think we should ever underestimate the power of that, especially when they're kids who may not feel seen at home or at school or in other parts of their lives, having them feel seen on the page can, can honestly be quite life-changing. Life so I think it's um, something really, really important and exciting that we can all work towards. Um, but yeah, does anyone have any quick questions? If we have any time, Susan, I'm not sure how long I ended up talking for. There's a couple of minutes. Um, there's not been any questions in the chat. Does anyone have, you're getting a round of applause <laughs> down the bottom there yeah. <laughs> from a couple of people. Look, we, we might, uh, if anyone's got any questions of Tobias, questions, questions, a question about asexual, Asexual rep in YA. Does someone, Marg, can you, exp I, I'm not sure, does that mean something to you, Tobias? Because I don't understand. 
Uh, Mark Moran. Yeah, um, is, is the question asking for certain books that explore that identity? She actually does go on to ask for recommendations. Yes, there's two parts to her question. Okay, so recommendations, yeah. yes, please, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. Um, I think some of the, one of the really famous ones is written by um, Alice Oseman. Um, it's called Loveless. Um, that's a really um, prominent one. But um, honestly, these days, if you just do a quick Google, if you just put that very, that very sort of sentence into Google, there are endless, endless lists that come up, um, either from Goodreads or from YA blogs, that sort of thing. So if there is anything in particular you're looking for, Google is your best friend. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, other books I've read with ACE representation recently. Um, I actually can't think of it. This is always the problem when you have to think of the books you've read when you've read 9 million books in the last few months. Um, sorry, I don't have more to list straight away, but um, yeah, give that one a quick Google because there, there definitely are a lot and a lot more than there were even 12 months ago. It's, um, we're really feeling in that gap that, um, that did exist before, I think, with that one. Wonderful, thank you. Erin um, uh, in the chat has uh, suggested Golden Hand by Garth Nix. So that's another one, obviously. Um, look, I think we, we've, we've, I think we're doing really well here. What a fantastic start to our afternoon, Tobias. Thank you very much. That was excellent. Um, so very honest and, and real and, and very personal. So thank you. We really appreciate you starting the afternoon off so wonderfully. Thank you very much. Um, and we'll, we'll charge you. ahead. Okay. Um, I'd like to introduce our next speaker. Um, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm, I always feel like I'm moving too quickly, but if we don't, we won't get through everybody. We've got so much to, to do this afternoon. So our next speaker is uh, Carmel Byrne. Carmel is Head of Library at the Berwick campus of Beacon Hills College, and she's entitled her wonderful presentation today, Mirrors, Windows and Sliding Glass Doors, which just sounds fantastic, Carmel. Welcome to you. <laughs> thank, thank you, Susan. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm going to attempt to share my presentation. Let's see how we go. One. Okay, can, can we see that, Susan? All good, fantastic. Okay, great. Okay, I'll get started. I would like to acknowledge that I'm making this presentation from my home, which is on the traditional lands of the Boon people of the Kulin Nation, and to pay my respects to elders past, present and future. Mirrors, windows and sliding glass doors. I've titled my presentation to remind us of the wisdom of Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop in her 1990 essay of the same title. What a rich metaphor. Literature provides a mirror so we can see our life, our life experience reflected back. A window so we can learn about those who are different to us and most importantly, a sliding, a sliding glass door so we can walk into the world of others and learn empathy. In this presentation, I will outline why for us in our library, creating a collection that attempts to be inclusive of all our students 
whatever their ethnicity, religion, gender, or sexuality is of paramount importance. Selecting and promoting LGBTIQA plus books and our members of our GSA, Gender and Sexuality Alliance, have been involved in how LGBTIQA plus titles are included in our collection. Since this acronym is a bit of a mouthful, I will now generally substitute the word queer instead. And I know that term may be considered a pejorative and may be confronting to some, but I use the term in a positive, inclusive way. Why a library collection that includes a broad range of queer fiction and non-fiction books is important. I'll start with the Beacon Hills College context. I am head of a library at the Berwick campus and our library caters for more than 1,500 students from babies in our ELC and four sub-schools, junior school, prep to year four, middle school, year five to year eight, year nine and senior school, year 10 to year 12. My presentation, for some reason, I cannot move on to the next slide. Okay. It is a community-based open entry co-educational school offering a broad curriculum based on six key pillars, learning mindset, environment and sustainability, our global community, citizenship and service, well-being and values and, and values and character. I'm sure many of you are employed by schools with a similar philosophy, so I'll discuss the last two pillars in a little more detail as it may help those of you who may be in a position of having to justify having such books in their collection. Well-being, to quote the Beacon Hills philosophy, Quote, students are actively supported to build a healthy body, mind, and strong sense of personal well-being. End quote. Fiction, people by characters that you identify with, enhances your sense of self and provides the opportunity to develop your identity, regardless of your gender or sexuality. If you are questioning where you fit or whether you belong, to see yourself reflected back as you read lets you know that there are many ways to be normal. At Beacon Hills, we have a student-led co-curricular group, GSA, Gender and Sexuality Alliance, for students in year seven to 12. At a recent meeting, I told the 25 or so students about this presentation and asked whether there was anything they would like to say on the topic. There were several comments along the lines of, yes, books with LGBT and queer characters are needed. But I thought I'd share a quote from a year 12 member who emailed me with her thoughts on the topic. Books are a space designed to allow you to escape reality. And by having representations of the LGBTQIA plus community in them, they are providing a comforting place for the reader, especially if they, they identify the same. Finding a character who represents the same as me makes me feel included that I exist and matter despite what society thinks and it has helped with discovering my identity growing up." End quote. In our libraries, we all provide safe physical spaces for all students, especially the vulnerable ones. Our collections provide a key extension to that space. Books with diverse characters provide that mirror to our queer students. 
making them feel like they count, that they belong. In addition, going back to the metaphor from Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, these books also provide a window for heterosexual students to learn more about what it can be mean, to, what it can mean to be queer, and possibly a sliding glass door, so we may walk in the shoes of another another student and learn empathy. I'm not sure if the timing of this panel presentation was deliberately placed placed in the same week as Ida Hobbit Day, the 17th of May. International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism and Transphobia, but it is certainly timely. At, at our GSA meeting last Friday, one of our chaplains joined us to ask the students what they would like him to say in the school's assembly presentation to mark Ida Hobbit Day. A couple of the Year 7 students said things such as that they were sick of homophobia. But they were met with replies from others in the group saying that homophobia came from ignorance and a lack of understanding. Our diverse library collections can help provide that window and perhaps a sliding glass door until our school community and the broader Australian community becomes more, more inclusive. This brings me back to the sixth pillar of learning at Beacon Hills, values and character. Quote, the college values of respect, compassion and integrity guide students to develop their character and identity. Listening to my presentation, you may be under the impression that Beacon Hills is an inclusive community where all embrace diversity in all its forms. This is not the case, but I am pleased to say that we have made a very good start. Very occasionally, a parent in the school community will question particular books with queer characters and themes and or library displays such as one we created in 2019 for Wear It Purple Day. When a parent questions, the response of the college is along the lines of our core values of respect, compassion and integrity are not negotiable. If we respect all members of our school community, we will provide a diverse library collection. In an edited extract, titled, I Never Found Myself in a Book, Patricia Grace on the Importance of Maori Literature in The Guardian on the 1st of May this year, we find a persuasive argument on the importance of inclusive literature, particularly own voices. She writes that the stories put before us, quote, show what is important or not important to a particular group of people at a particular time. If there are no books that tell us about ourselves, but tell us only about others, that makes you invisible in the world of literature. That is dangerous. If there are books about you, but they are negative, demeaning, insensitive and untrue, that is dangerous." End quote. When we feel as though we count, that we belong, that we matter, we want to participate. We want to make a contribution. Conversely, when we feel excluded or worse still, if we are discriminated against, are bullied, as if we are in some way broken or sinful, there, there are horrendous consequences for individuals, families and society. It is hardly surprising then that queer students are more likely to disengage at school, are less likely to do as well as they could academically and are more likely to experience mental health issues, including depression, anxiety, self-harm and suicidal thoughts. I had intended providing the shocking statistics, but I didn't want to be reduced to tears mid-presentation. 
They are readily available online for anyone needing more evidence. If more arguments are needed for the powers that be at your school in order for you to include books for all students, regardless of gender or sexuality, they can be referred to the Australian and Victorian laws that require schools to take reasonable steps to eliminate discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity or intersex status, and to promote an inclusive school environment. Now for the what. There are lots of great books for our queer students being published here and overseas. If you want to get started, don't agonise. The only mistake you can make is not to begin or expand your collection. Your queer students will notice and will recognise your efforts by borrowing what you have selected. Who knows, you may even get some verbal feedback expressing that they enjoyed the book or a request to get more in that series or more books like that. A few aspects to consider though. Support Australian authors and publishers. If we want local content, especially from queer authors, we need to buy and promote their books. And there are some very wonderful books being produced by these authors. Some great examples are The Boy from the Mesh by Gary Lonesborough, Peter Lyers, Rating Normal by Anna Watley, Underdog edited by Tobias Madden, Ida by Alison Evans, Night Swimming by Steph Bowe, and Nevo Zeeson's memoir, Finding Nevo. Perhaps when you think of books for queer students, you think of novels where the main character is questioning their sexuality, or perhaps that they have worked, it, worked that out but want to come out to their parents and or friends. While these novels, along with queer romance novels and, and stories, are important to add to your collection, these readers will relish, will relish a contemporary science fiction, fantasy, action, horror, or some other genre who, ha who has a main character who is queer. One of the things I loved about Anna Watley's Peter Liars Rating Normal is that when our neurodiverse protagonist is rating how normal she is, her relationship with another girl is not relevant. Another, Aussie, another great Aussie example that comes to mind is the winner of the 2019 Gold Inky Award, Amelia Westlake, by Australian author Erin Goff. While it does contain romance and a deeper layer, it is lighthearted and funny and very popular with a broad range of queer and straight students in our library. If any of your students and or staff are out to you, Ask them for recommendations of books that might be appreciated by other students or staff. Keep an eye out for recommendations from your bookseller, reviews in the media, and relevant people that you may follow on social media, such as The Knack on Facebook. In my list that I've put in Padlet of some of my and my students' favourite LGBTQIA books, I have, noted, I have noted other genres where relevant. Where and how. At Beacon Hills at both campuses, our fiction is shelved alphabetically by author within its genre, with a genre label on the spine. Back in the days before we had a GSA, after discussion among library staff, I talked to students who were out about having a, an LGBTQI plus genre label or possibly shelving these titles in one collection. At the time, the consensus was love is love, so why shelve it separately? And if other students see us looking at or borrowing books from that section, we will be embarrassed and we might be bullied. 
Creating a separate collection would also likely limit non-queer or straight students from borrowing these books. So the decision was made to add LGBTQI as a subject heading when cataloging and to shelve each book within its genre. I'm not sure how, whether or not students at your schools consult the library catalogue when it comes to looking for a book they might like to borrow, but at Beacon Hills generally, students browse the shelves and the displays unless they are looking for a particular title. And even then they are more likely to ask a staff, a staff member at the CERC desk to check the catalogue for them. The subject heading though is helpful for staff assisting students and or staff to find appropriate titles. Now that GSA is up and running and becoming more popular, I decided to consult with the stakeholders and they were keen to add a relevant sticker, but what sticker and where to place it? After much dis discussion, they recommended a rainbow flag sticker. They decided not a rainbow heart because as they said, it's not all about romance, is it? And where to put the sticker? Some thought the spine, but then it came back to possible embarrassment for some. So they, they decided inside the back cover on the edge away from the spine so they could take a discreet peek. When the rainbow flag stickers arrived from Quantum Library Supplies in Queensland, they were the only supplier that I could find who stocked them without a special print run. The students in GSA jumped at the chance to help with the stickering when I asked for assistance. This has had the ad added benefit of promoting this collection and there was lots of discussion about various titles and special favourites. Where to from here um, with LGBTQI plus literature at Beacon Hills? A recent exciting development is that our year nine and 10 English teachers are looking at changing English texts for 2022 and asked me for recommendations. They were keen to move away from books by quote, dead white guys, end quote, that they find have little relevance or interest for most students and wanted me to include contemporary titles by diverse authors for their consideration. Two titles that they have expressed, expressed possible interest in are Peter Lyers' Rating Normal by Anna Watley and The Boy from the Mish by Gary Lonesborough. Thank you for listening. And in addition, um, I have, as I said, I have the list attached in the Padlet. Um, I'm sure that I've omitted lots of uh, very worthy ones. Um, I have marked my own special favourites in the Padlet with um, a double asterisk. Uh, thank you. Oh, wow. Carmel, that was fantastic. Truly fantastic. What a wonderful start to this afternoon. I mean, with Tobias first and now you. Um, so very impressive. Thank you very much. I think there's an enormous amount there for everyone, and I, I'm sure they'll all be rushing off to the Padlet later on to look at the list as well. So wonderful. Well done. We're going to charge ahead. Our next speaker is Rhiannon Wild. Uh, Rhiannon, has, Rhiannon has worked as a journalist, barista and high school English teacher. Her second person short story inspired by Urban Brisbane, You Deserve Nothing, was long listed for the Queensland Young Writers Award in 2014. Henry, Henry Hamlet's Heart is her first novel. It won the Queensland Literary Awards Glenn Dower Award for an Emerging Queensland Writer in 2019. And we welcome Rhiannon here this afternoon to talk to us specifically about Henry Hamlet's Heart 
and anything else you'd like to share. Rhiannon, over to you. Hopefully you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Oh, Welcome. Thank <laughs> Welcome. <you. laughs> Thanks very much for that lovely introduction. Um, so I'll take it away. So uh, good afternoon, everybody. As you heard, I'm Rhiannon Wilde. My debut YA queer novel, Henry Hamlet's Heart, won the Glendara Award for an emerging Queensland writer at the 2019 Queensland Literary Awards, and it's coming out on the 2nd of July. Um, this novel first began with Henry Hamlet. In 2018, I went on an excursion to a cemetery with the year nine history class I was teaching, and there was a Victorian grave for a Henry Hamlet. At the time, I just thought that was a cool name, but I didn't think much else would come of it. But the next day, my Henry Hamlet showed up in my life pretty much fully formed as a neurotic, sweet 17-year-old brown-haired boy who followed me to work every day after that, demanding that I tell the story of how he fell for his best friend, Lennon. Um, my favourite band, Cub Sport, who is a Brisbane band, love them, should check them out, at the time had just released an album all about the lead singer and keyboardist who grew up best friends falling in love. I was listening to that and listening to Henry's voice in my head and seeing Len in my mind's eye, and I knew that these were things I had to fit together for a book. Crushing on one's friends is something that I think a lot of young queer people, and certainly myself, often experience in adolescence. So the plot very much stemmed from me wanting to read a story about what could happen after that. If a crush between best friends wasn't hopelessly unrequited, what then? And how do you navigate that jump from friends to more? I knew I wanted to set the story in Brisbane because with all the Queenslander houses, jacaranda trees and blue skies, it's always felt like a bit of a magical place to me. All the locations I used are real ones, and I spent a lot of time moving all around the city in different cafes and taking pictures of people's houses to use as inspiration. Only the outsides of their houses. <laughs> um, on another level, this novel is also set in 2008. I have something of a fascination with the recent pre-social media past, as well as the cultural conventions of that specific time. So emo mullets, black skinny jeans, screamo music and MySpace um, are all key features of this book. I was very aware of not appearing to speak across my potential Gen Z audience or appropriate their experiences, and also of the fact that they are interested in this pre-social media world too. So 2008 felt like an apt place for Henry's story and the varied LGBTQIA plus perspectives within it to have some strong setting related fodder to play against. When I was writing the first draft of Henry Hamlet's Heart, I was teaching English right up to year 12. And while many of my students had really clear ideas about who and what they wanted to be when school finished, many of them really didn't. Many of them had absolutely no idea. So this book is a coming of age story wherein Henry as a main character is someone who very much doesn't have it all figured out and we see him trying his best and sometimes failing at things as he approaches his high school graduation. Where Henry was insistent as a character, his best friend Len was mysterious at first, even to me. Like a real person, he took quite a while to crack. To this day, I often don't know what he'll do in any given scene, which is probably one of my favorite things about him. 
He evolved into a very complex character with a very dysfunctional home life who likes boys and girls and just people generally. Bi or pan erasure and stigmatization for men particularly is still pervasive in life and in fiction. So Len's identity is something I crafted as carefully as I could in order to represent the perspectives of the bi and pansexual men in my life who identify or have struggled to identify that way. Len is a golden haired, sexy bio slash pan hero who doesn't fit into any of the damaging binaries that have previously existed in the same way most real life people don't, or many of them don't. <laughs> um, Henry's voice as a young queer man was also very carefully crafted to ensure that the real and valid experiences of young gay men were respected and heroed just as much in the story. I spent a lot of my adolescence in a state of gay panic before I fell in love with a boy and moved into bi panic, but authenticity and accuracy in the narrative voice for Henry Hamlet's heart as a YA that I knew had the potential to reach a lot of queer young men was my paramount focus across every edit. We were really fortunate to have a thorough and fantastic sensitivity read really early on and the talking points raised throughout those various discussions um, were invaluable in shaping Henry's journey. One of the now climaxes of the novel, one of my favourite parts, directly came from those conversations. And I think they're some of the most important and necessary we can have as authors to ensure that the voices we're creating are as accurate as it's humanly possible for us to make them. I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of queer men in my life as well as queer women. Um, including the queer man that I married, to have been able to run phrases or scenes by in order to constantly check the way Henry feels about and processes his world throughout the story. The varied and definitely not always easy experiences of these men around me are peppered everywhere in this book, from microaggressions and homophobia to exactly how it would feel to pull your friend's shirt down when they're taking their jumper off on a humid day and it rides up. I couldn't be more grateful for those perspectives. Throughout this novel, Henry's friends, the boys, are supportive and accepting of his identity in a range of different ways. This was modelled off friends of mine and my husband's, but it was also a very deliberate message. Toxic masculinity is played with pretty heavily, as Henry's most boyish friends are his most avid supporters at embracing his, as of him embracing his queer identity. Henry's dad, Reuben is also highly supportive and he's the character we see Henry speak to the most about his sexuality besides Lynn. I wanted to break down the binaries of gender and toxic masculinity, particularly in father-son relationships, and give Henry a male role model who's highly emotional and empathetic and basically gives him that little push of, like he's saying, being who you are is completely okay, that I know was very necessary for me. Henry's grandmother is equally accepting and supportive, and she's something of a queer role model throughout the story. She's a 68-year-old proud bi woman in a relationship with a woman. She's brash and sassy and entirely unapologetic about being who she is. This kind of diversity never diminishes in importance, I don't think. The only bi representation I saw when I was a young person was decidedly negative to the point where I grew up basically thinking that what I was didn't exist. I poured over Marissa Cooper's relationship with a girl on season two of the OC in 2004, 
breathlessly tuning in every week with my door locked in case anyone could hear only to have it this, that storyline completely dropped as a lesbian phase and never mentioned again oh. episodes later when she returned to my other crush ryan the character of gran in this book evolved firstly from me thinking what might i look like as a 68 year old woman but mostly from a desire to give bisexual kids who might read this book someone to look up to and firmly see themselves in. Positive queer representation is something that was almost our primary focus for the finished manuscript of Henry Hamlet's Heart. I wanted people who identified in a whole range of different ways to be able to see themselves in the book and sought to ground everything that I was touching on in a variety of first-hand experiences besides my own. Young people so often look for validation of their own experiences and perspectives in fiction. So for this reason, I think LGBTQIA plus perspectives and diversity in their representation are absolutely key facets of the YA genre, as they remain absolutely key facets in the lives of so many teenagers. The Gen Z landscape is undeniably a queer one, and thank goodness for that. While I was writing this novel, humour and music were what sustained me and were hugely influential in shaping the overall tone of the story. Henry Hamlet's Heart is a queer romance that is very much a dramedy with equal parts sarcastic one-liners and heart, set to a soundtrack of classic emo bangers, Taylor Swift, Troy Sivan, and all those songs that make you remember the magic and misery of being young. My fervent hope is that the overall message readers take away from this book is that it's okay to love whoever you love and not have everything figured out and be exactly who you are. Thank you. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rhiannon. Oh, look, you're getting all kinds of claps all around the screen. Isn't that lovely? Um, that was fantastic. Um, I, I've learned so much, and I think I need to read this book. <laughs> so, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, look, I know if anyone has any specific questions. Oh, oh Lynn's saying that one of her students is reviewing your book for our, our Shelf Talkers website, so that's exciting. Oh, that is exciting. So that's really good. Look forward to reading that review. <laughs> And oh, everyone has got it on their buy list by the look of it. So that's really wonderful. If you have any specific questions of Rhiannon, and I know I went too quickly before, or of Carmel, please do pop them in the chat. And if we can't address them now, I'm sure they will later. So we're doing wonderfully well. That was wonderful. Okay, we'll, we'll charge ahead. Our next speaker is, uh, is Cresta Davis. Um, Cresta is a librarian at Geelong Grammar's uh, Fisher Library. And Crest is going to speak to us today about their library's LibGuide, which is called Stand Out. Crestor, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Wonderful. Excellent. Welcome. Thank you. Over to you. All right. Thanks, Susan. Um, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the Wadarung land that we're learning on and playing on and being on today. So um, the LibGuide that I'm showing today is based on something that was asked of me by a teacher that was wanting to put something together for kids that are coming out or questioning or having having a few discussions somewhere that they can go for for authentic and accurate information so what we've done is we've put lots of videos and links and things i'll just slowly scroll down about specific 
um, Muslim, Asian, Aboriginal. Are you, are you sharing your screen, Krista? Yep. You should be able to see it. Are you? I'm not, unless, no, okay. there's a few other, other people shaking their heads as well. So have another go. Try it now. Uh, still not coming up. It came up before, so I'm sure we'll get there eventually. How's that? Up oh, there we go. That's it. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so yeah. So as you can see, there's lots of videos. This one I just found yesterday was was a really brilliant addition. But you can you can click onto this and find out everything that you need to know and everything that you need to find out for your your individual need. So we've had lots of students that have responded to this, not just being gay or queer or trans or any of the above, but dealing with it for their specific needs as well. So particularly multicultural with our school, um, we've got lots of different, different classes, different gender groups and everything as well as, so they, they can find, you know, the, the black rainbow one is brilliant if you're Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and LBGT, or we've got the Hello Kitty, Hello, sorry, Yellow Kitties, which is the Asian, lesbian, bi and questioning intersex and transgender in Melbourne. I was looking up the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Muslim Imran that's come up just recently, and he actually has workshops all around Melbourne. So there's some beautiful things here that the students can find either individually themselves or they can use it as a classroom tool or a boarding house tool. We've actually got three transgender students in the in the school at the moment and so this has been really useful for the boarding house that they are in and also for the specific training that the student the, the teachers have done in that boarding house on transgender students. So it's basic, basically a launching pad for them to have a really good look and find some information and then actually go on to, onto that website and discover more. So just as I'm scrolling down, all of these link to our catalogue. So you can see that whether it's in or not. And just to, a note of mention, one of our teachers mentioned yesterday that Nevo Vision actually has a brilliant book on um, transgender, sorry, um, terminology. So we've, we've just ordered that, but it's another really great one to put into so that you're using the right terminology for them and asking them what they prefer too. So, so yeah, this is this is a, a great resource. I'll put this link up as well so that people can use the links that they find. There's also the dictionary of, of different terms. And there's a few fun things on there as well just so that people can see, you know, different colours, different different things that we're doing. And we also subject heading all of our books um, that are, we've got over 100 at the moment that are in the LBGTQI subject heading and the list is available on the Padlet. And we've also got our standout group which meets monthly and it has movie nights and screen printing on hoodies. They've got a support group and we've just recently asked them for a wish list for their books for the students to actually any book that they they know of that we haven't discovered yet so that we can be buying them for the students so we're actually tailoring our buying to their needs so 
I'll just leave you with a couple of personal anecdotes about our LibGuide. As um, one of our students said recently, the standout LibGuide is cool because it has a list of fictional books that I can relate with. And that's exactly what Tobias and Rhiannon were saying about being a book that they can feel like they're a part of, that their character is one of the strengths in that book. And one of the other quotes that I wanted to share with you is, the LibGuide has some great resources. It's really helpful for new younger members of our group who have lots of questions about how to cope and especially how to come out. So at the top of the page, sorry if I'm going too fast, um, there's our list of over a hundred our Geelong Grammar resource list and that's also on the Padlet as well. So is there any questions that I can answer while I'm here? We don't have any in the chat at the moment, Krista. Does anyone have anything they'd like to ask Krista about what her work there at Geelong Grammar? I think everyone seems happy. It's, it's such an important thing, isn't it, to have a, a resource that people can access without having to actually go and talk to anyone. I think not just on this topic, but on lots of different topics. We don't always want to be talking to someone and seeking that kind of advice, but to be able to find information, good information, um, in this way, in this safe way, I think is really important. And it's a great role for us in libraries to be thinking about, um, not just in this area, but in many different areas, I think. Yes, absolutely. Especially for people that are just dipping their toe into the queer well, they might not want to be seen as reading something like that. So they can they can access this LibGuide on their own in their dorm or at home. And they can they can find the information that's authentic and accurate without asking other people that might might show their hand, so to speak, or finding links to the support group as well with the standout. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you're getting lots of positive comments in the chat, Krista. So I think everyone really, I think really appreciates the work that you've done and, and appreciates you sharing um, what it looks like. It would not be hard for anyone to replicate. And of course, in LibGuides, you can actually, if someone gives you the permission, you can actually republish someone's whole guide on your LibGuides page. I suppose most people who use LibGuides know that. So they could even um, ask Krista uh, if they could share. But I, you see you've also posted some of the lists that are on your LibGuide into the Padlet, you said, I think, yeah? That's right. Ours is individual for Geelong Grammar, but by all means use, a, use any of the sites that you need and any of the graphics would be fine. So mm -hmm. rather than just sharing it, just tailor it to your own needs. Excellent. That's really helpful. Thank you very much, Krista. Um, does anyone else, anyone have any questions? I think you're all happy. They're all happy. They're all saying thank you very much. Excellent. <laughs> They're all thrilled to see it. Um, and obviously, but, but no questions. We're doing very well. We're actually ahead of time. Thanks, does anyone Susan. have anything? Sorry? Is that someone? Did someone have a question then? I'm sorry if I spoke over you. No? Okay. We'll keep going. If you have anything else you'd like to ask any of our speakers, do put it in the chat and um, I'm sure we'll address it at some point. It sounds to me like that Padlet that we've created it must have some amazing resources on it. I can't wait to go and look 
And I will make sure that anything, uh, the, there's a few links that have been popped into the chat. I'll make sure they go onto the Padlet as well. And then I will send you all the link again tomorrow. Um, so we will move on to our next speaker. Thank you very much, Cresta. Oh, and Cresta's given us the link to the actual specific LibGuide in the chat as well. So you could go and um, have a closer look and perhaps note down the different websites that she's already um, uh, put into their LibGuide. It's going to save you all a lot of work, I think. <laughs> so very helpful to have someone doing that for you. Okay. Our, just uh, If anyone's not muted, I'll just ask you to mute your microphones so that we don't get any feedback. Our next speaker is Maggie Hutchings. Maggie is a counsellor, family dispute mediator, writer and artist. Her previous books include Unicorn, Mermaid, Dragon, Your Birthday Was the Best, and I Saw Pete and Pete Saw Me. Um, Maggie's going to talk to us today about her new book, which is called Enough Love. So we're going down into the more primary area here, which is really exciting, and I'm really pleased that Maggie can join us. Maggie, welcome. I'm, I know you're here. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Over to you. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Maggie Hutchings, and I live on the banks of the Clarence River in Yamba. I'd like to start by thanking the Yagel people and paying respect to their elders, past and present. And I feel very blessed to be living on their country, and it's a real inspiration for a lot of the stories that I write. Um, I'm going to start by saying a little bit about um, the book, which is called Enough Love, and it was illustrated by Evie Barrow, and it's out from a firm press on the 29th of June. Um, I'm going to also read you the story at some point because... Um, I don't have a copy of the book to show you. It's not quite out yet. So I'm going to actually read it to you. And I have some slides of Evie Barrow's beautiful illustrations to show you too. Um, the reason this story is so important to me though, on two levels, I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about that, is that on a personal level, a lot of my family members identify in various different ways and uh, including one of my children. And I do wish that when they've been growing up, um, there'd been picture books and young adult books that they could have read where there were queer characters because there weren't at that point. Um, and in fact, I was listening to um, some of the things people were saying about um, acceptance in schools and, you know, tongue in cheek, because I remember my um, son actually telling me that um, one of the priests at their retreat had said to, to the group that, um, you know, God will still like you if you're gay, but he'd kind of prefer if you weren't. Um, so hopefully we've come a long way from that. And books are a big thing. You know, he, he did read a lot of adult books. I know that for a fact because, um, you know, there just weren't any, any youngest, young adult books at the time. Um, the other reason the book's very special to me is because I was a counsellor for 20 years and a lot of my clients um, came because of identity issues, not just about their sexuality or gender, but all sorts of issues, of course, because they were, they were um, you know, diverse as, as human beings as well, not just on one level. Um, and so, you know, I was also listening to what Tobias had to say about that. You know, we do need still to have these, these stories because even though in the cities, you know, I walk around Melbourne and I see all these 
couples and, and I think it's just wonderful you know it's, it just seems normal but I live in a small country town that's still very accepting but I don't really see I have to say young people being able to kind of be free about who they are so I personally think that that starts not only with books about young adults but with picture books as well because if you don't start knowing that you're okay when you're very very young you you then have a bigger barrier as you go on you know so my books i tend to sort of try and normalize um all sorts of experiences in that way um and the other thing i would say is that um you know i know we've moved on a lot in our culture but i was seeing clients right up until i retired last year young people who were terrified of coming out and were terrified um, of the future and didn't really um, you know, hold much faith that they would be accepted out there in the world. So this is very real and it's very current. So it is important to start very early on normalising the experiences of all people. So I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to share my screen, which Susan knows is my bumbling technology skills are going to be exposed to you all now. Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to do that and I'm going to actually turn off my video at the same time because I do think that it's, I noticed um, I was listening in to another little bit of advice earlier on and that was you can slow down your video if you don't do that. So I am going to share my screen. Here we go, guys. Let me see if this is actually going to work. Okay. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. I hope. Oh, I have to press share. Now I'm going to go into, well, hallelujah, here we go. This is the, the, I'm just going to go back one, sorry about that. Oh, I'm going forward. I'm just going to go to the out of it again, sorry, and start again, because for some reason it's going very, very fast. Okay. Right, that's because I did the wrong thing. Right, okay. I'm going to read you a story. Is everybody ready? Good enough, love. When mum and dad were happy together, I had one mum, one dad, one home and a bird. That was enough. And mum and dad got divorced. I was sad for a while. But they were both still all mine. When Dad met Kevin, my family grew. Together they had Hooper. One mum, two dads, two homes, one little sister and a bird. That was enough. We were happy for ages. But Dad and Kevin argued too much and Kevin moved out. Dad was sad and Kevin was sad too. One mum, two dads, three homes, one little sister and a bird. That was enough. I liked spending time with Dad on my own, and Mum was still all mine. Then Dad met Bruno, and Kevin met Pete. Bruno had a crazy dog, and Pete had a cat called Boo. One Mum, four dads, three homes, one little sister, a bird, a crazy dog, and a cat called Boo. That was enough. When Mum met Pietro, I got mad. I wanted Mum all to myself. Aren't I enough, I shouted. 
Mum thought about it. She said, so what is enough? You have one mum, four dads, three homes, one little sister, a bird, a crazy dog, and a cat called Boo, and we all love you. Don't you have room for more love? Pietro is nice. He has twins, Cora and Carl. I didn't want to like them, but I do. Maybe mum was right. I did have room for more. One mum, five dads, three homes, one little sister, one big sister, one big brother, a bird, a crazy dog, a cat called Boo, and room for one more. And I just want you to look at these absolutely glorious illustrations that Evie Barrow's done um, and how she's managed to fit everybody into one room and make them all, you just want to look at everybody's faces and everyone engaging. I think she's done an amazing, brilliant job and it wouldn't be a picture book without the pictures. So, um, so that's, that's a little insight into the story and it'll be out on the 29th of June. And there'll be teacher's notes, which I know is a big thing for people wanting to, um, to teach from the book and also for librarians. And they'll be there on release day um, via the Affirm Press page. So if you go into the page and you look for the book, you will actually find that you can, um, you can see it quite easily on there. Can I ask, um, did, did anybody else, I could only see the cover. Could anybody else see the no. other pictures? Um, maybe we could share and see some of the other internals. Yes, absolutely, I will. Or was it just me? I don't know. Anyone else? I, know, um, I wonder if it's not working then. Yes, they're saying only the cover. Yes. Oh, good. Right. Everyone can see what I'm. So maybe, maybe it's, 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 it's it well, stayed on the first slide. It did, we didn't see the other slides. Oh, right. How bizarre. But there you go. That's my, I, I told, I warned everyone about my skills and there you go. I've just proved it. No, no, no it was great. Could, would, would you show us again and show us the internals? I, I think what's happening actually, weirdly, is that I've managed to open two things at once. There you go. Two versions of it at once. Let's try this one. Here we go. Can If I go to here, is everyone now seeing the, the main cover? And can somebody, can anybody see this one? No? Yes, yes, now we can. Now we're seeing oh, the second can. slide. Yay. <laughs> I'm not going to risk getting it into, a, into the proper format. I know you'd be looking and going, click that other button, but I'm not going to. Um, so now you can see the pictures and you can see what Clever Evie Barrow has done in order to tell this story is to use the artwork of Willa, the main character here, to show her family in um, pictures on the fridge. And all the way through the book, Willa is drawing her family and all the characters, and she adds and adds and adds and adds rather than takes away. Because one of the messages I wanted to get through um, for kids is that, you know, regardless of your sexuality or identity or whoever you are, if your parents do separate or your caregivers separate or your family becomes separated in some way, it doesn't mean that they're going to stop loving you or caring about you. And it shouldn't mean that they should stop seeing you or being in your life. I, I know that's a reality for some children that that does happen. But, you know, parents read these books too. And I want to express to them how important it was 
for all children to still feel loved and supported and to not have people just coming and going out of their lives and that you know if you do have an ended relationship um you know try and have some sort of meaningful um you know inclusion of, of that family member uh, i also wanted to give a bit of a shout out for you know um for dads of all genders and all um, persuasions, you know, that, that fathering um, is so important in, in children's lives. And, um, you know, why not have four or five if you can? We've, we've got lots of um, adopted dads and mums in our families. And, um, you know, it's been a wonderful thing for my family to have, have all sorts of people in their lives and all sorts of role models, including, you know, people that are, uh, identify as queer um and and from all different countries and so on so yeah that's that was the the reason for this book um was yeah i wanted to to show people and this this particular slide here is the one i was blathering on about when you couldn't see it um which is where all the characters evie's managed to get them all in one room which i think is an absolute stellar achievement and you know it's just family life i mean that is that is just typical of when, you know, our whole family gets together or, you know, I hope a lot of your families are the same. Um, and I just wanted to show that it doesn't really matter how people identify, you know, family is family and you, you need to just sort of really focus on that, especially with books and, and libraries. If you don't see this um, when you're small, how are you going to know what's normal and what's not? Um, I mean, to me, everything is normal. So maybe that's just been my job for all those years. Um, but yeah, is, I'd, I'd really love to, to hear if anyone has any questions about this book, actually. Because um, I'm, I'm, we've had some, a few lovely reviews from bookshops, queer bookshops, that have just said they love it um, with the advanced copies, which is why I don't have one, because <laughs> they've all gone out to the bookshops. But if anyone's got anything they'd like to ask um, about my counselling of, of young people or about the book, please do let me know. We, we don't seem to have any specific questions, That's okay. Maggie. That's okay. In the chat, though, lots of lovely positive comments oh, about good. the book and how excited everyone is to see it, and also about your other books as well. We've had people are uh, fans, so that's exciting. Oh, Claire. Hello, Claire. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. Um, so I think it's uh, one that everyone's going to be adding to the list. You've done an enormous oh, I hope amount. So. Yeah, you've done an enormous amount in so few words, which is a, an extraordinary challenge um, to be able to do that in picture book format. So, yeah. so well done to you. Thank um, you. Does anyone have any questions of Maggie in either in the chat or feel free to put your mic on if you'd like to ask? No, we're all good. They're just. I think there's just a lot of love out there, actually. <laughs> a lot of love. So. <laughs> Well, I've got a, love for, a lot of love for everybody on here as well, because it's been really interesting to hear what everyone else has had to say, and um, I've really enjoyed it. So, yeah, it's Excellent. really nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you're very welcome. You. Yeah, thank librarians. You. Yeah, school librarians are lovely people, Maggie. That's that's just what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and and authors, as, authors as well. So let's keep going. Thank you, Maggie. Just excellent. You're welcome. My, the list of books I'm going to have to buy is just uh, getting longer and longer and longer. So we will charge ahead. We're actually ahead of time. So please do ask questions if you've got any. Um, uh, we're doing extraordinarily well. Our next speaker is Anna Watley. 
Now, m many of you may realise that originally we were going to have um, uh, Gary, the boy from Mish, um, was going to speak with us, but he unfortunately, uh, not not too far out, couldn't join us. And so Anna has been wonderful to step up and step in, and we're thrilled to have her here. So Anna has always worked in literature and education and holds a PhD in young adult fiction. And she's going to talk to us about her new book, Peter Liars Rating Normal, which has actually already appeared on the screen in a number of ways. I think uh, Carmel was showing it to us earlier. So Anna, are you here? Welcome to Anna. Um, I'm here. I Wonderful. Hope. Thank I you. Kept, I kept thinking my mic would turn on early and you'd hear me hollering at the kids. So I was a bit <laughs> like, you know, when you like scream out and then you look back and make sure no one's going. <laughs> <laughs> we heard nothing. We heard nothing. Over to you. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm so I'm so stoked to be here. And Gary would have loved to have been here too. I've spent a lot of time with him over the last couple of weeks and um He's wonderful. He must be so exhausted, though, I have to say. Um, and this is like my jam. Me and me and the um, and the libraries is definitely my um, safe space to be. So I'm very, very happy to be included. I have to not look at you all over here and I'll look at it. OK, uh, and I'm talking to you today from the Turrbal and Yagara land in um, Brisbane, where it is. Um, has been a very hot day so um, forgive me if I feel if I look like I'm and I know it's very different elsewhere in the country. Uh, my mum is a librarian and I grew up in the stacks and um, I wrote one of the scenes in Peter Liar um, which is actually a real story about me growing up in about my time in the stacks it's a it's a really fun little anecdote and it still makes me giggle um, but I was very lucky to grow up with the smell of books even though I was a reluctant reader and a little bit late I guess to reading independently as a teenager um, but we didn't have young adult fiction specifically back then apart from more the Judy Bloom uh, that was around and um, more than that I also um, did my PhD in the um, librarianship training department at QUT and so I was surrounded by um, teacher librarians of um, all sorts of uh, levels of experience and research and so I just feel very connected to the library system still and love it because I think it's great. Now I have three kids who use school libraries and uh, council libraries so yeah. Um, okay so uh, about Peter Lyrov I've got a little thing in a bit about what actually happens in the story, but um, I guess uh, it's one reason why I'm sometimes chosen to stand in or work with Gary is that we both write LGBTQI plus um, characters uh, and own voice novels. So I write bi, queer and other um, protagonists as that's how I identify. I'm white and I live a middle class life now and I'm also disabled. Um, which we'll go into. There's like so many letters. If I give them all at once, it just sounds like the alphabet soup that I am and that Peter is. Um, and I ask a lot of questions and I think books should ask questions rather than provide all the answers. And so um, that's often where I'm at. And in, lately it's been what counts as a core self and what's fluid. So that's been a lot of fun and is informing my next novel and providing me with some good brain teasers. So I wrote Peter Liar in a fast and furious way that I've spoken about uh, many times and after which I found I'd written across a few intersections so that 
alphabet soup I mentioned there. Um, and there were so many that I worried, and I spoke about this at the Brisbane Writers' Festival, uh, and that there were so many intersections. Oh, okay, I knew I'd jumbled myself up eventually, that I thought it wouldn't be plausible, uh, but it turns out statistically there are enough of us. And the response from readers has been amazing um, from people who, hang on, I'll read one. This is what I was going to do to ground me here because I get a bit excited. I like talking to people. So um, these are a couple of reviews from young adult reviewers, not the adult sort of adults reviewing young adult fiction. I, select, I just had a good look through the um, ones written by either through the Inky Awards or just personally who've messaged me that they from a high school and they've written a review. Um, one saying, there was so much I didn't understand about this novel when I read it for the first time. And it's full of identities that don't belong to me and characters uh, and characters that at face value, I share next to nothing in common with. When I revisited chapters that I'd taken note of, I realized that that was the quiet, Ah, oh, okay, brilliance of Anna's writing. I didn't mean that bit, but I meant the bit that she was finding this was a really new way of her seeing um, the world through someone else's perspective. And that was really meaningful to me. Um, and another one saying that the way Peter's brain works made so much sense to her, uh, that novels like this one are the stories of the future where the neurotypical and straight are not the default Peter's so much like me and many other readers. And by the end of the book, I felt like I was her best friend. It's about a girl with, um, well, I'll rephrase it, an autistic girl with ADHD and sensory processing disorder and her journey of self-acceptance and learning to stop giving so much of a crap. This one's from the Inky Awards, <laughs> I think. Um, or the, um, yeah, the website. It includes a wholesome skiing trip and an LGBT romance that we can all get behind. Peter's a character that I can finally relate to. Uh, and Anna's portrayed neurodiversity in such a positive and proud light um, that made autism seem so much simpler and familiar to the reader. And so that was, I thought that was a really good snapshot of the novel that it was Peter learning not to give so much of a crap, which is something we wouldn't say. We would say in much more professional tones that, um, that she obviously goes from rating her normality and how she fits in uh, or how she's passed as normal because she's very aware. She's very well educated in what normal is. She's done all of the social training that we're told to give our children and, uh, and, and she rates herself on that. But the thing, and as, um, uh, as was mentioned earlier by Carmel, that um, she doesn't consider her sexuality as uh, something that's not normal in the first place and the only time it really comes up I guess in that way is through uh, her love interest Sam who's not had such an easy run of it she's um, been through a much tougher time so it's not um, I didn't want to ignore the realities of that and she'd come from a different schooling experience as well um, so it's definitely present in the novel but from Peter's perspective uh, it was that love is love and that's the way it's supposed to be um, so I wanted that for her um, it because it wasn't my experience. So also I'm going to try and stick to this because, you know, as I said, I will just keep talking for as much time as I have, because this is one of the blessings of ADHD and autism is that I can just go on about my favorite things forever. Okay. So the other intersections I crossed to keep myself moving uh, without uh, Peter lies set in a TAFE college 
because I did my year 11 and 12 at uh, TAFE College in Brisbane and it's still an option even though we now have TAFE streamed into high schools um, and I don't see it represented very often in young adult fiction mostly I see private schools um, yeah and just the odd state school here and there um, some really good examples um, on my shelf behind me like um, this is how we'll change the ending or yeah and that but um, I wanted her to go to the TAFE the strange and bizarre TAFE school uh, college high school experience that I had where being gay was okay and no one really cared if you were um, queer we only kind of had queer bi and gay like, we didn't have as many options so um, yeah that's uh, where I was writing from and the teachers weren't bothered there was no we didn't feel stigma in the educational environment at all and uh, so for me that was the most authentic place I could set the novel and yeah I wanted to see it represented as that low socioeconomic community as well that I don't see very often and that when we're looking for books on the shelf that we relate to you know where do we, where do we look in the pile um, for those experiences um, yeah so the other thing I had there was that it's uh, and as Rihanna mentioned a bi-female character who isn't being erased in any way but I also didn't want her to be choosing between two people of different um, identifications bit so I just wanted it to be uh, yeah it wasn't I know that there are some issues with uh, by girl ending up with a guy and, and all these things and I just wanted the focus to be elsewhere the issue and the problem in the novel is mental health in a lot of ways uh, and that's where I wanted that sort of side of things to uh, come out so, okay what was the other thing I've got in there as a neurodivergent woman I can't believe how few texts represent anything remotely similar to the experience of Australia so yeah to have we're much um, so neurodivergent people are much more likely to be non-cis and non-straight and we're also more I put some links to the research at the very front of the chat while I had it to hand um, and we're much more uh, at risk of suicide and suicidal ideation and I struggled with my mental health a lot as a teenager and it's uh, kind of amazing that I made it out as my mum would say um, and yeah Carmel's already mentioned the statistics that are a bit depressing so um, ironically I think uh, that having somewhere that you can um, find a representation of yourself matters at that age and we didn't have that and I don't know how my life would have been if I had I know diagnosis in terms of being um, neurodivergent makes a massive difference uh, but you don't get diagnosed as gay so that I don't know or as queer so I don't know how that will work but I do know that finding your community matters and so I think novels go oh, they go such a long way into finding a community to belong to and a sense of belonging is, is huge is so important um, okay so she's also gifted uh, meaning obviously she's bored easily and fails a lot um, and and gets the odd really good grade too and that's something we don't see very often mostly students are 
stereotyped as being great academic achievers or failures. Um, and I wanted it to be clear that it is not an easy journey when you're gifted and that it is still a struggle because the balance is not uh, something that's easy to find. And I uh, have heard, yeah, it's a fast read again with the board easily thing. Um, found family is a strong part of the novel and in, um, and in all my writing, I would like to have different representations of family structure. And as we've heard tonight with different um, in terms of parents and my next novel has um, queer parents as well, um, more evidence. So I'm getting braver in, in branching out there, I think as a writer. So that's really fun for me. Uh, my most proud moments as a writer are having messages from the teenagers, which have been amazing. And my own teenager at, who goes to our local state high school and she was at the traffic lights and sent me a message saying, oh my God, someone's reading your book at the lights. And she couldn't believe it. And, uh, and she goes, and it's not even a library book. And she knew all the library books were gone because she'd been and scoped it for me. And then we realized that they'd bought it. And that was like, wow, they bought the book. And then we went, wow, that means they could buy it. And there are so many kids that can't afford to buy books that have no one to buy the books for them. And that's why we need them in the libraries. And if we have enough copies, then we're not going to have that delay between getting hold of it and, uh, you know, wanting to read it and getting hold of it, which is so much of a funding issue, I realise, for a lot of libraries. And um, if there's anything anyone ever needs to go towards uh, helping with funding, then, you know, I'm all behind that and if they need any help because the number of copies can make a really big difference. You know, if there's always that one dog-eared copy of that favourite book in the library, um, yeah, it can be difficult to get hold of it. Um, I'm going to race ahead a little bit. Okay, so one of the other favourite moments I had was when a trans boy messaged me on Instagram who just said that they'd stumbled across the book in Big W for no particular reason and who had identified in so many ways with Peter and his brother um, as well. And it was just this bizarre moment of an actual teen. I think that might have been the first teenager that actually wrote to me. And I just was just beside myself to think that this was really getting into people's hands. And I really, I really loved that, um, that moment. Um, I was going to mention that a lot of um, older people have messaged, so up to, I think, my, oh, so she, I think she's in her 80s, who went along into a bookstore in Sydney and said, I'd like to get this book because I think that was me. And a lot of people are revisiting their teenage years and, um, and through the novels that we write now for teenagers and seeing what, um, how they were and maybe a place they could have belonged. And I'd like to think of that generational um, change in the pitch book that I think was, was Margaret was just reading from, that that's going to play out in families where we're going to see some change going on there with people finding that they belong more than they thought. And, okay, I'm rushing now because I'm worried I'm going to take up too much time. <laughs> so uh, I was just going to say as well, um, from the Brisbane Writers' Festival where we mentioned um, mental health and how important it is to address the difficult topics. Um, and Tobias mentioned everything we needed to say about sex um, and sex uh, scenes of sex in the novels. I think he did a great job with that. Um, but also suicide and Holden obviously addresses that in Invisible Boys uh, and it comes up in a few others as well. Um, 
that and Hannah Gatsby's work because she actually kind of is a great cross section of as well as a neurodivergent woman uh, who is um, she's a lesbian and um, I forget which labels I've given already so we'll just chuck them all in there we're all on the same kind of wavelength there and she's done a lot of work with her two uh, two stage shows now Nanette and Douglas to address what that means but also to address the violence that we are exposed to and uh, and hate crime and Peter does experience some um, stuff in the book that I considered writing in different ways and they don't come across as a hate crime now and I think that was the right choice for the book but it's something that is still important and that puts us at an even higher risk uh, and again look I'm doing what uh, Carmel was saying it's like let's try not to get ourselves upset um, and we get policed often it's not always getting hit or something it's often a really um, covert experience of being having our gender and sexuality policed by the people around us and I still get stopped to this day um, in the street and you know and a kid asking me but why have you got that face I was like what because <laughs> he's asking his mum if I was a man or a woman and um, and I'm a cis woman like this is the hilarious thing I just happen to appear I guess on a blur that lines a little bit which is fine with me in that way um, and yet this kid just couldn't get over it and just kept on saying yeah but why why has she got that face then and I remember having that from when I was really young um, as a I suppose a masculine woman um, let alone when I was um, going through um, yeah when I was with girlfriends and things and having having that kind of stuff thrown at me and just opening up those discussions in classrooms is so important we were never able to talk about those at school which may be our only safe space and for a lot of students it is our only safe space um, and any novels any of the novels and I have I've look this was the show and tell that I won't go through um, of all the ones I've been going through lately um, stars like us and um, perfect on paper and Boy from the Mish and Amelia Westlake and Rebecca Jensen asked me about the future, which is poetry um, in Brisbane again, um, amazing poetry. Um, and she's queer as well. So um, we didn't have those discussions begun in the classroom. Um, so while it is important not to out your students or ask them to out themselves, it's also important for those topics to be addressed. Um, and so yeah, Margaret mentioned religion and we've come such a long way uh, and I didn't write a coming out novel because I never came out. I, hi mum, and here we go. <laughs> I think we had covered that one at the Brisbane Writers Festival as well. Um, it's very easy to live quite a covert life, life as a teenager uh, and we don't have to do that so much anymore, thankfully. Um, but I was also told by my father who and I don't speak of this either but he's a religious leader and I was told very clearly that gay people should be lined up and shot and um, I didn't go home and tell that to my girlfriend I <laughs> privately we wouldn't have texted because didn't have that many phones mobile phones um, and so yeah there was no space to come out into and that's another reason I didn't want that to be difficult for Peter I would have I just wanted her to and for Sam Sam's fa family are amazing um, and I wanted that for them and it's a little bit of me holding teenage Anna's hand and saying 
it's all getting better now and that she's not alone anymore. So that's me not getting upset, which I won't do. So authors, we won't get everything right and not everything's going to fit in one book. We're not going to cover it all in one book. We're just trying to open up the discussions and we're asking you all to take it from here. So the more you can get in your libraries, the more discussions that can take place and the more readers that can squirrel them away and read them in private and never speak to anyone about them, but know that at least someone is there who understands. So uh, please let us stay in your libraries. That's all. And like I said, I could keep going for like ever. Um, but if I keep That's going, it. I'll probably just out and out ball. So I should stop. <laughs> I think that's a great place to stop, Anna. That was lovely. Thank you. So generous and so very real. You're getting lots of claps and all these amazing comments in the chat. Oh, and, no. and I forgot to, Cresta has reminded us that, to congratulate you on your shortlisting for the Children's Book Council Awards. I got a shiny sticker. I'm so excited. Oh, you got a shiny sticker. <laughs> Do you know, I bought a copy of my, look, I've got Christmas pajama bottoms on and everything, but I bought a copy of my book at the Brisbane Writers Festival just sticker. to get one with a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> and I, she's like, are you going to sign it? It's like, no. Nah. <laughs> I don't know, I can order them, but I that felt a little bit wrong. Um, and I got a well, thing. And look, there's two shiny things. I'm going to interrupt you now. Did, did yeah. anyone tell you that Ridland runs out by this time of day? I got a medal. For disability, from... like writing something, something. Hang on a second. Who's it from? That's not a it's CBC from the, it's thing. It's Aspire of War, Aspire Awards, Individual Best Achievement. Well, yeah, why not? I guess um, in writing of any genre, and that's the disability, the Aspire Awards. That's pretty cool. I got a medal. Things <laughs> people like me don't get in high school. There you go. <laughs> it is very cool, and and congratulations to you. Please go and read the chat because people are saying how much your book oh. is meant to them and and, uh, and and also how popular it is in their libraries and thank oh, you for sharing. So, so please don't, do go and have a look for those comments. We really thank appreciate you. you being here. Um, thank you very much. I really do. Yeah, a very, very Thanks special. Thank you very much. We'll move on to our last and final speaker. Um, and thanks, everyone, for writing great things in there for Anna. I'm sure she'll look forward to reading them all. Our, our last speaker to finish yourself for the afternoon, which has been so jam-packed and so much great information, is Erin Wamala. And I, oh, there she is. I can see her. So she's here. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Erin. Erin's um, going to speak to us this afternoon with her kids bookshop hat on. Um, as the Kids Bookshop and the Reading Forums have a long and important partnership. And she's got 10 books, 10, sorry, I, I, it's getting late. She has 10 minutes to talk to us about 10 books. But Erin, we won't time you. Um, and <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Uh, and they are going to be on the topic, I believe. So Erin, over to you. I won't take any of your minutes. Thank you so much, Susan. I have to um, say firstly that I am still on, on duty in the library at the moment and the boys are just coming back from sport and they're about to head out because we're closing soon. So I apologise if all of a sudden there's a bit of a rush of noise. Um, I also wanted to say to Anna that um, I, I was one of the CBC judges this year and I don't think I've read a book that has so wonderfully put the reader right in the shoes and the experiences of um, 
the main character. I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. And if you would like some stickers, I have a whole lot of them. So email me and I can send you some <laughs> if you like. I'll, I'd be more I'll than send happy you some to. bookmarks. <laughs> yeah, cool, do. <laughs> I'll use them for my judges' talks. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so, so what I thought I would do with this part, because I only have 10 minutes, is I thought I would just focus on 10 books that are very new. So I've only come out in the last month or so. Um, so I'm just going to um, share my screen if I can find it. Please let me know if you can't see it. Hopefully, is that, is that working? There we go. Um, yeah, all good. Okay, so all these books have come out in the last month or so. So that's what I, how I thought I would sort of focus on this. And it's a bit of a combination of books for primary and secondary, some non-fiction and some fiction, quite a few graphic novels actually that have come out um, recently as well. So the first one is a collection of stories called Coming Out Stories. This is actually based on the podcast, which I've put in the Padlet. If anyone's interested, it might be something that some of your students are interested in. Um, it'd be great to pair the two together. Um, so this one is a collection of non-fiction sto short stories, lots of different perspectives and experiences. Um, it includes advice, um, tips, um, people from all different walks of life telling their coming out stories. Some, you know, some are really joyous, some are very, very personal in, in that it maybe it's just a conversation with themselves, um, some about talking to family or friends, um, but lots and lots of different perspectives. So um, I think that's a really great resource to have um, for secondary students um, in your library. Um, the second one is uh, an unabashed rom-com rom called I Think I Love You. Um, so this one is it's set in, the, set in LA. Um, it's about two girls, arch rivals, competing for a coveted place in a film festival competition um, and then find themselves falling for each other in pretty typical rom-com fashion. Great for fans of um, authors like Rainbow Rowell. It's light-hearted, gay romance, suitable for readers um, right across secondary. Um, nice and accessible, not too long um, and really fun and funny read as well. Youth is the first um, of the graphic novels I've got um, today. This is actually a, a series. Um, this is the first one. I think it's just being released in, in paperback. Yeah, but it's um, kind of a combination. Um, it's a bit of an X-Men type um, story, I guess. So it's about a group of 20-somethings at a party um, that is hit by a meteor and everyone survives, but they all end up with these um, superpowers that they have no idea how to control. Um, so think something like Scott Westfell Zeros, um, which is really popular with my readers once I, I talk about it. I love that series. So a similar kind of thing. Um, it's X-Men with an LGBT twist. It's fairly short. It's great for those superhero um, comic book fans or graphic novel fans who are maybe not big readers, but I think big readers will enjoy it um, as well. So it's only about 32 pages long, so it's not too too long at all, but it's a great for engaging um, those students who are perhaps not big readers. So this is a, as we do have characters who are sort of in, the, in their 20s, it is more of a secondary um, school one. Another graphic novel, Newbie, a real one. Um, this one is from um, the author of A Blade So Black. I don't know if anyone knows um, that. I think there's two in that series, which is a really interesting modern twist on Alice in Wonderland, um, set in Atlanta, I think it is. Um, so from the same author. Again, this one deal with, deals with superhero powers. So um, we have 
Nubia, who has Amazonian-like strength, but she is seen as more of a threat than a superhero. And when her best friend is threatened, she risks everything to protect them. So it mainly uses the um, premise of superheroes to explore racism and prejudice and equality, but of course has the LGBT um, themes running through it as well. This one's more suited to, for middle to upper secondary. Um, this one's for the primaries, Grandad's Camper. This is just gorgeous. A beautiful story about a granddaughter and her granddad. Um, granddad is mourning the loss of Gramps, um, who has died recently. And ever since, Gram uh, Granddad hasn't wanted to go travelling in their camper anymore because he's too sad. Um, and so their granddaughter devises uh, a plan to try and do up the camper and try and coax Granddad out um, into travelling again. And so they t he tells stories about Gramps um, and their travels and their adventures and their relationship together. It's a beautiful story about grief and family and it really is one of those books that normalises same-sex um, relationships for young children, um, which is really, really important. Um, the pronoun lowdown, this one has been mentioned before. Um, I couldn't go past including this one. Sorry, I've got some, <laughs> some boys walking behind me. Um, this one, um, obviously Australian author, which is fantastic. Um, it's a combination of history, language, um, discussions about language. It's got personal stories. Um, it talks about things. Um, it's a great one for teachers and parents to use as a bit of a reference, I think. So if you, I know um, there are a lot of schools perhaps dealing for the first time with children who are trans um, and how to discuss the language around them. Um, so something like this is really, really fantastic um, to use as a reference perhaps for teachers and parents in primary school, but also for readers to read as well in, um, in secondary. It's very bright and colourful and friendly. Um, it includes an illustrated history, personal anecdotes and, and advice on quote generally bad behaviour um, and how to deal with difficult questions and how to not to ask difficult questions as well. So a fantastic resource, um, that one. What's the tease along similar, similar lines? Some of you might know Juno Dawson. Juno's written quite a number of books sort of around this topic, but also some um, fiction as well. This one's suitable for aged 14 plus readers. It's really written for them. So it's written for young people who are exploring their gender. Um, perhaps they uh, have, um, they are trans, perhaps they're just exploring their gender identity. Um, it's frank and funny, does not shy away from big topics like sex and relationships, which I know Tobias was talking about earlier. Um, it talks about identity, misconceptions, um, it's accessible and compassionate and includes lots of own voices contrib contributions as well. Um, so Dawson has a proven track record um, with writing books um, around these topics um, and this one is a great addition um, that should be fantastic for your secondary libraries. Um, I just finished reading this one and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I think Rebecca Stead is one of the finest writers for middle grade authors, for middle grade readers, I think. She is just extraordinary and this was so, so beautiful and I could rave about it all day. Um, so, because it was very fresh in my mind because I just finished it. So this one follows a, a girl called B um, who, who parents have divorced a couple of years before very, very amicably, which I absolutely loved. Um, they are very clear in, in telling her that B is their 
their main priority um, and that they still love each other, but their love is now just different. Um, and, and she really feels that. So it's an inc incredibly loving um, split, which is great because so often in, in um, fiction for children, it's the divorce obviously is not so amicable. So it's lovely to see that side. Um, B's father um, came out as gay and he is, has announced that he's marrying his boyfriend, Jesse. And B is really excited because she loves Jesse and they get along really, really well and she can't wait um, for the wedding. And also Jesse has a daughter who is the same age and all of a sudden B is faced with having the sister that she always wanted. Um, but perhaps it's not as easy as she thought. And when she first meets um, Sonia for the first time, it doesn't quite go according to plan. Um, it's so beautifully written. B suffers from anxiety and she does see a therapist um, as, a, as a result. And it's called the list of things that will not change because she has this list of things that she refers to when she's feeling a bit anxious. And she talks about um, the strategies she uses, like only worrying for a certain number of minutes a day um, and, you know, things like that. Um, it's very subtly and very gently talks about things like homophobia. Um, Jesse has a brother who has not accepted him, um, and but it really leads children in in a very gentle and it's almost like the author's holding your hand and saying it's okay, you know, this happens, but um, it's okay and it makes them feel safe. It's just so beautifully written. I could rave about it for ages. Um, great for upper primary. You might be able to take it into lower secondary, perhaps maybe twelve. She, although. Is, um 12 years old, she she reads quite young, but that's okay. You could probably take it into your seven. Um, but I would not hesitate to give it to my nine-year-old. He's a great reader and I think he'd really enjoy it as well and I'd pass it around to his friends. So um, definitely kind of middle to upper primary for that one. Um, and Heartstoppers, this is a, um, some of you might know this one. This is a graphic novels. Um, and the fourth one has just come out. So it came, came out this month, which is why I thought I'd put them all up there. It's a graphic novel series. Um, fantastic for fans of someone like David Levithan. It's got a really strong fan base. Um, so it started as a bit of a passion project from the author and then it's just turned into um, this graphic novel series. Um, so this series uh, is as I said, is a really sweet story of friends falling in love at an all boys um, school. Looks does look at serious topics like bullying and homophobia and mental illness, but as a, at its heart, it is a love story between best friends, um, basically. So great artwork, really lovely um, and suitable right across for secondary readers. And finally, is a new one for Katie, uh, for um, Becky Albertalli, who wrote um, Love, Simon, or Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, um, which has been really popular as, as, um, since the movie came out. Um, this one is set around the theatre, so theatre kids, I guess, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, this one is follows best friends, um, Kate and her best friend, who both her male best friend, who both fall for the same boy, and of course, it causes all kinds of trouble for the first time in their very close friendship. What is really good about this one is actually the focus is not on the romantic relationship; it's actually on the platonic relationship between the best friends, um, which is a really nice um, thing as well. And it's, she's got a Becky Albertelli has a great, you know, kind of funny sort of sassy voice. Um, as well. It's really fun, it's enjoyable, and you can go from middle, lower to middle secondary um, with no problems with that one. Um, so that's it, that's my my 10 books. I just wanted to say also, I've put, and I have put an order form in the, on the Padlet, if you would like to order any of those. And of course, um, do the usual 15% um, discount for schools. Um, 
I've also put in there just a link to the newsletter. I put that in there because I like to be really focused with my newsletters. And one of the things I like to do is I do do book lists. So if you have, if you would like a book list for any topic really, um, I can, I'm more than happy to put something together for you and I do share them as well. I also like to do what I call hidden gem new releases. So I focus and some of those are, I spoke about tonight, but I focus on books that you won't see in your standing orders. Um, so ones that probably fly under the radar a little bit. So if you're looking for something a little bit different, if you um, and quite a lot of these books do kind of fit into that category, um, it's a good way to keep up to date with those as well. And of course, I have you know um, events and reviews and exclusives and all that kind of stuff as well. So I'd love to hear from you. My email is there. Anytime you have a query, um, if you'd like suggestions for literature circles or book lists for for updating a library, whatever, do um, shoot me an email. I'd be more than happy um, to have a chat. Otherwise, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Erin. Thank you very much. Great list. Um, that was really wonderful. So we have had an amazing afternoon, I think. So many wonderful ideas, fantastic books, hearing from some spectacular creators. So very exciting. Thank you very much for everyone for being a part of it. I will email you with all the links and all of the details uh, about where you need to find information. Thank you very much for being here. I hope you can all join us again for another forum. Enjoy your evening, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, lots of claps. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>